Hello, I'm Kevin Richard. Each year around this time, Boise State University releases its annual public policy survey. And this is something we watch for very closely in the Idaho political world because it gives us a sense of where Idahoans stand on the key issues at the beginning of the legislative session. This year's survey focused on a lot of interesting topics in education, including all-day kindergarten, also focused on the COVID-19 pandemic, taxes, and the record state surplus. I wrote about the survey on Tuesday, and earlier this week, I also had the chance to talk to Matthew May. He is the survey research director for Boise State University's School of Public Service. We talk about the findings in education and what Idahoans had to say in general about the direction the state is going. Here's our interview. Well, Matthew, thank you for taking time this week to talk about the survey. I've been writing about the survey for years, but let's just set the ground rules really quickly. What is the Idaho Public Policy Survey? What is the methodology and what's the goal? Um, So the Idaho Public Policy Survey is a survey that we do every year with the School of Public Service. So we're now in our seventh year and really it's building on the lineage of the School of Public Service's predecessor, the College of Social Science and Public Affairs, which did an annual public policy survey for about 20 years from 1990 through 2011. Um, And so what we do is we put together a survey questionnaire that touches on people's legislative priorities, their views, and um, about potential policy proposals likely to come up before the legislature in the coming session. We conducted a mixed modes survey that was split uh, of 1,000 Idahoans, uh, adults, um, and we split it between about 60% were collected via phone calls, both cell phone and landline calls, Uh, 30% were collected via online means, and uh, about 10% were collected via text message. So we were able to collect responses that had a margin of error of plus minus 3%. Um, And the goal of the survey is really to give policymakers and leaders in the state, both the governor's office and the state legislature um, and the public in general, uh, an indicator on where the public is on a variety of policy issues that they can kind of fold that into their calculus as they start debating the legislative proposals uh, of 2022 and kind of beyond. Okay, great. So with that as sort of the ground rules, start with kind of the top line data here. I mean, what what jumped out this year as a new finding, a new result, and maybe what jumps out because it's a durable trend. It's something you've seen year in and year out. The Well, probably the biggest top line finding was the overall direction. One of the year questions we ask each year is, do you think Idaho is headed in the right direction or do you think that it's off on the wrong track? And while right direction has consistently been the most frequent response over the last seven years. Uh, this year, it's at about 46%, and wrong track is up at about 41%. And so the gap between those two answers has gotten a lot closer um, this year compared to previous years. It was about 30 points between those two answers in 2019. This year, it's about five points between. So the, the gap between those two has been narrowing. Um, One of the other major findings that we saw in the results this year was that um, there's definitely some increased uh, concern and attention being paid by Idahoans on a lot of issues related to growth. Um, It seems to be reaching kind of an inflection point in the state where um, housing saw the most movement in terms of legislative priority. While it didn't jump the ranking, it uh, increased uh, about eight points on the number of people that were scoring at eight to 10 in a legislative priority. Um, there was concern about 
um, the ability of Idahoans to find similarly um, homes for similar value as, as their current homes. And there was increasing concern over property taxes um, overall. And so what we were really seeing was just kind of the an increase in concern along that kind of range of issues while still um, seeing some consistency where education has constantly mm-hmm. been the top priority for Idahoans year over year, and that hasn't changed. Okay. Let's drill down on that level of dissatisfaction, that gap between the Idahoans who are saying we're headed in the right direction and those who are concerned that we're not heading in the right direction. Were you surprised at those results and the narrowing that we've seen in the past couple of years? Um, a little bit in that it was continuing kind of the trend that we saw in last year where that gap had started to narrow and it just kind of continued that trend. What we see when we dig into the data is that the, you know, the probably the most pessimistic group was those that had lived in Idaho 20 or more years. Mm-hmm. So the long time, really long time residents were the highest wrong track group. Um, about 53% of those that have lived here 20 years or more said wrong track. Um, women were slightly more pessimistic than men. Um, Republicans were generally the uh, political ID that had the most positive outlook. 56% of them said we're headed in the right direction. 30% of Democrats said we were headed in the right direction. So you kind of see a split there. And then independents were kind of ha- right in line with where the statewide uh, population wound up with about 46% saying we're in the right direction. So um, it wasn't really a surprise, but more so just an interesting finding that that trend continued um, because there were indications there going into the survey. And so this was more just um, confirming that the trend hadn't leveled out or reversed itself in the last year. And yet, you know, I would suspect that that kind of a finding it's not in a vacuum when you look at some of these other survey results, when you've got especially longtime residents, maybe with concerns about growth, maybe with concerns about housing costs, and you layer in what I thought was really interesting finding, too, where you had 26% of respondents saying, the pandemic has hurt me financially, personally has hurt me financially. You put all of those kind of, you know, kitchen table type issues into the mix, you know, that's going to translate into people questioning the direction of the state, right? 100%. Yes, it, it does. And um, like you said, you know, about a, a quarter said that they've been worse off financially since the pandemic started. And another quarter had reported that they've had trouble paying their bills in the last year. Um, slightly smaller proportion had gotten uh, food from a food bank or charitable organization in the last year or received unemployment benefits. And so we were trying to get a pretty good indication of how the pandemic has affected um, Idahoans in general. And we do see some um, negative impacts from the pandemic, and certainly that trickles through some of the other answers when you know you're, we're asking about um, you know balancing uh, or what the proper balance between vaccination requirements, if any, mm-hmm. with personal freedom. We we see some of those same things coming out in this year's survey that we were seeing um, early indicators in last year's survey when we asked about um, you know mask mandates or um, if a vaccine were available, would you get it last year? Um, and so really what we see is that Idahoans are really still struggling with the impact of the pandemic and being right in the middle of it. Certainly it's gone on longer than anyone had anticipated going in, but they're still, I think, struggling with um, all of its various impacts. And I think that 
ultimately colors its uh, their perception of where the state is headed. And yet, in all of this, when you have people expressing concerns about their financial situation, and you have people expressing concerns about property taxes, when you ask about surplus, and back when you did it, it was only a $1.5 billion surplus, and now it's $1.9 billion. Right. When you asked people how that surplus should be spent, they proposed a fairly balanced set of priorities. I mean, some tax relief, but teacher salaries and addressing the housing issue. I mean, you know, a fairly balanced approach to all of this. Yeah, really, the Idahoans were fairly split on the uh, options that we presented them with. Um, where increasing teachers' pay, giving tax relief to Idahoans, and workforce and, and affordable housing were the top three answers, but they were all fairly clustered together, mm-hmm. um, fairly close to the margin of error. I think the top and third ranked answer were like just outside the margin, but they were, they were still very um, tightly clustered. So um, Idahoans were fairly split along those priorities um, until you you saw some trends, again, when we start breaking it down by party, where you see some variation uh, depending upon one's uh, political identification where, you know, workforce and affordable housing was the top issue for Democrats, tax relief was the top issue for Republicans, but the overall state um, actually went with what the was the independence top priority, which was increasing teachers pay. Um, so you see this kind of divergent priorities, but then we also try to keep in mind when we ask um, straight out early, earlier in the survey, you know, which of the following issues are the top priority, um, you know, taxes were pretty low on the overall ranking when you present it in, in conjunction with education, jobs in the economy, um, you know, the, the environment, um, housing, and, and all these other priorities. So when you consider answers to specific questions, we always try to keep in mind that, yes, in a vacuum, this is where they're choosing, but they also have like their overall ranking of what's the top priority um, through those other questions. And we try to um, not lose that perspective. Interesting, too, on the teacher salary question, because you asked respondents, how do you feel about using some of the surplus money to accelerate mm-hmm. the career ladder? Now, Governor Little isn't talking about using the surplus to accelerate the career ladder. He wants to use federal coronavirus. Hey, it's, it's somewhat the same principle. Do you want to put more money into it right now to accelerate the career ladder? Kind of a lukewarm response from respondents. Right. Yeah, they were, they were, again, they were fairly split, almost um, not quite evenly, but but close to the margin, about just under 50% to 44%. Um, and when you put it before them, they're um, kind of balanced between do it slowly over the three years as originally intended or do it all at once using the surplus thing. Again, when we dive into the answers, you, you typically see kind of that, that party effect where the Democrats were more likely to say, let's do it all, all at once mm-hmm. now using the budget surplus. The Republicans were all, let's do it um, slowly over three years, or at least predominantly, whereas the independents were kind of split down the middle. And that's what tends to be where we see the, the statewide population when everybody's folded together, um, really kind of came down more towards that s- split. So um, I wouldn't say that the Idahoans in general are fairly decisive one way or the other on this question, but they're certainly open to it. Let's take a couple of minutes to do a little bit of a deeper dive into the survey responses on all day kindergarten, because that's going to be such a prevalent topic at the state house. Walk listeners through the numbers on all day K. 
Sure. So what we asked was, would you favor or oppose a plan for the state of Idaho to provide additional state funding so school districts could provide full day kindergarten? And um, we had them broken down by favor or opposed and then the intensity of their position, whether they strongly favor or only somewhat favor, strongly oppose, somewhat oppose. So collectively, 68% said that they would favor that proposal. 40% strongly favor, 28% somewhat favor, versus 26% were opposed, 14% uh, strongly opposed, 12% somewhat opposed. Um, so that shows strong support across the state for um, funding full day kindergarten. But when you break it down by party, um, that support is still above 60% regardless of party mm -hmm. identification. It's strongest among Democrats. 89% uh, of Democrats are in favor of funding full-day kindergarten, 69% of independents, 61% of Republicans. So even getting over that 60% uh, threshold of support among Republicans shows that there is wide support for full-day kindergarten. And um, interestingly, um, having a child or grandchild in Idaho schools didn't appear to affect the likelihood of that support um, one way or the other, 68% of those with a child in the K-12 school in Idaho versus 68% of those without a child in K-12 schools in Idaho, both favored the proposal. So um, it's definitely strong support among Idahoans for that. And it seems like possibly it suggests that the reasons for supporting all-day kindergarten might vary depending on you know, your personal situation or your political affiliation. I mean, you've got Republicans at the state house who are looking at all-day kindergarten who are you know, who are you know, sympathetic to the idea of all-day kindergarten because they want to move this off of the property tax or they want to move it off of you know, the back's parents having to pay tuition, that it's more of a financial issue in addition to an education issue. Um, yes. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure that I can speak. No, no, no. I know no, that's not the level that you went to in the survey. I'm just curious right. if that suggests that there's maybe a multi-tiered uh, support here for all-day kindergarten I, I do think that there is um, definitely, like I said, the, the survey shows strong support, and I, I do think some of it has been built off of the um, attention that's been paid over the last several years on all the early literacy um, uh, funding that the states uh, poured into that program, um, and certainly the um, the fact that you see such variation among school districts across the state where um, some offer some form of full day kindergarten and then there's some variation on whether um all full day kindergartens are this you know are equal in the sense that um are they receiving the same kind of full day instruction hours you know equivalent to other grade levels or are they simply um compressing half days into a few days of the mm -hmm. week so that they're um, technically going full day but it's not the equivalent of a full day level of instruction. And so I think as uh, parents and um, observers across the state have seen this kind of imbalance, I think it's potentially created a, um, it's identified a need. And mm -hmm. so that's what's kind of escalated it onto the policy agenda um, more and more, probably the, the most that I've seen this year compared to previous years. Um, and certainly we were able to tap into that a little bit with the survey and kind of seeing where public opinion is. One thing the survey found, and you mentioned it at the outset, that you've seen year in and year out is that Idahoans identify education as their number one priority. It's a little bit different this year in terms of 
a little bit of a split along party lines, but still, you know, very strong opinions that education mm-hmm. is a top priority. Yeah. So, yeah, the 71 percent rated education on a scale of one to ten as a priority at eight or above. Um, and that's been pretty consistent with what we've seen um, year over year. The one thing that we um, don't do with that rating is that we don't dive deeper into necessarily what education is. Well, you know, what do they mean by education? For um, Democrats, it may be teachers pay. For Republicans, it may be, you know, parental rights or critical race theory mm-hmm. or some other education adjacent issue. And the fact that it all falls under that umbrella of education um, ultimately, I think, pushes or, and keeps education as the top priority, but we aren't able to dive into specific uh, policy issues under that umbrella with the the detail. I think that's uh, would be fun <laughs> for one, um, but um, would also allow us to give a little more nuance to what um, they're saying. But without a doubt, education has uh, definitely stayed the number one issue on uh, Idahoans' priorities. And another thing you see in education this year, you've seen it before. I'm always kind of fascinated by this by this split. Idahoans, when you ask them to grade the education system at a statewide level, they have one set of answers, but they have a slightly different and a slightly more uh, sympathetic uh, response when they're asked about their local schools. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not that unusual. The thing we liken it to every year is how, um, you know, there's that old adage in political science where everybody thinks Congress does a terrible job, but mm-hmm. their congressperson is one of the good ones. Um, and it's kind of that level of familiarity where they may have a more pessimistic view of the system as a whole, but they're convinced that their local party is kind of one of the gems um, relative to that. And so we definitely see probably a more uh, reserved or slightly more pessimistic evaluation of the K-12 situation in Idaho as a whole. Um, I think the top two responses this year were fair and poor, which we used a scale of excellent, good, fair, poor. so the two negative categories were the ones that most frequently um, were cited by Idahoans, but with the caveat that you know poor came in second, but only barely above good, and they've been kind of alternating mm-hmm. places over the last four years, suggesting you know just some uh, volatility that may have something to do with uh, the COVID pandemic and all of the school closures, and um, you know potentially parents having to, you know, having their kids home for extended periods of time with remote learning, maybe that that changed some of their calculus a little bit. Uh, It's hard to say, but when you zero in on somebody's own school district, then it's generally a a far more favorable view where good has been the most frequent response over the last um, six years, um, followed by fair. Um, And then there's a significant gap before you get people saying poor, only about uh, 17% answered poor. And so um, people... It's, it's not unusual a phenomenon for people to rate the, the system closest to them more highly. Um, and then we also saw a little more favorable views from those with children actually within schools versus those that didn't have children or grandchildren in schools. Suggesting that maybe respondents, uh, they're more concerned about pandemic protocols in a global sense, whereas 
they, they look at what's happening in their local schools, especially if they have kids in those local schools mm-hmm. and they're saying, you know, you know, administrators and trustees are, are doing the best they can in a difficult circumstance. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's fair to say. And I, I think it also suggests that especially those without kids maybe are going just keen off of the, the coverage they're hearing or just mm-hmm. kind of the, the larger media framing, um, from a variety of outlets, um, and, and that's kind of guiding where their personal opinions are, as opposed to um, over for a lot of familiarity with the system. I, I think they're just taking their cues off of what they're seeing and without necessarily um, having that firsthand experience with the school systems. Okay. Let me ask one more question, and this is, it's probably kind of impossible to answer entirely because, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic, we're at the start of an election year, and you're months away from going back into the field for the next mm-hmm. round of this survey. But you've, you've probably looked at these numbers, you've crunched these numbers, and I suspect there are probably some answers that you look at and you say, we really want a deeper dive into this mm-hmm. uh, next year that really raises some questions that we want to explore further. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things that we're definitely interested in diving in more in the, in the coming year is um, teasing out a few more of those growth questions because a lot of what we did this year really built upon, uh, we, we do a Treasure Valley only component to this survey as well and we have over the last several years and so what we've done um, is we've piloted a few questions at that level that we then are able to bump up to the state. And so the, the growth question this year was one that we've asked um, at the Treasure Valley level over the last five years, but this is the first time we were able to ask the entire state. And when we did that, what we saw was that the state was at the level the Treasure Valley was in about 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, so suggesting that especially on growth issues that the statewide experience is just kind of lagged and kind of following the trajectory of where the Treasure Valley has been. But other parts so, of the state are catching up now and they're dealing with growth issues. Uh, yes, you know. it's definitely, it's, it's really um, heightened uh, up in Kootenai County is experiencing growth related sure. issues quite a bit. Um, uh, Canyon County was the other high uh, growth uh, county. And so it'll be interesting to see if those trends are continuing as we continue to kind of ask those banks of questions and, and develop some of that longitudinal data that we've had at the local level um, for far longer to see if those trends continue. Um, and then obviously it's always uh, interesting when we're able to build upon those other questions that we've been asking over time to see those overall trends. Um, and I've got to be honest, I'm, I'm going to be very interested in seeing where that right direction, wrong track yeah. uh, question yeah. falls out next year because it's not that unlikely that those two lines could cross at some point here in the next few years. Well, Matthew, thanks as always for walking us through this research and helping us understand the numbers and the trends. And we'll, we'll, we'll do this a year from now, I'm sure. All right. Happy to do it. Thank you so thanks. much. Again, that was Matthew May of Boise State University's School of Public Service. That'll wrap it up for this week. If you have spent any time on the homepage, idoednews.org, and I certainly hope you have, you know it's been a busy week for us. We have had the college and university presidents at the State House all week. Blake Jones and I have been following the presidents and following the hearings and following the proceedings as college and university presidents make their budget presentations before the Joint Finance Appropriations Committee. 
Devin Bodkin has the latest on high school graduation rates and what happened with those numbers during the pandemic. He also has an interesting story about what's happened with Idaho's average teacher salary. So you want to check that out as well. Kyle Fonensteel has been at the State House too. He's been taking photos uh, from the committee rooms, but he's also been keeping an eye on the Omicron variant and the outbreak and how that's affecting schools, including a change in policy in the West Ada School District. So you can find all of those stories and much more at idahoednews.org. Follow us there and also follow us on Twitter at Idaho Ed News. We tweet out links to our latest stories and bulletins on breaking news. You can join us on Facebook and comment on our stories there. And check back next Friday for another edition of this podcast. Until then, I'm Kevin Richard. Stay safe and have a good week. Music